welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. I have saved a beautiful conversation as our last episode of 2023 with one of our regulars, Emma Gray, who's had a spectacular year with her novel, The Last Love Note. If you have not yet gone out and read it, please pick up a copy today and buy one for one of your friends. I did want to take a moment just to thank everyone who has listened, shared, who's come on and been a guest on the podcast this year. It has been spectacular. I've had some of my favorite conversations this year. I'm looking forward to another year of magnificent writerly conversations. The feedback that I get on how insightful or helpful or just validating these conversations are is exactly the reason that we have these conversations in the first place. But in the meantime, before or rather as you prep for a spectacular 2024, enjoy this last conversation that we have with Emma Gray. Emma Gray is the internationally published author of five books spanning fiction, nonfiction, and memoir. She wrote her latest novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It was published by Penguin Random House in Australia and New Zealand, and acquired by Zibby Owens in New York, who describes Emma as the next Helen Fielding, Sophie Kinsella, or Jojo Moyes. She wrote her YA novel, Unrequited, to show her Harry Styles' loving daughter that reading could be fun, then co created a musical based on the story with Sally Whitwell, complete with disco balls and glitter cannons. When she's not writing, you'll find her on a country road in the dark, capturing the Aurora Australis with her camera, pottering in her cottage garden, and enjoying time with her three children and beloved puppy, Frank. So we're going to launch into it. We've obviously had conversation beforehand. I just want to start by saying it's amazing to me after the whirlwind of what you've experienced professionally, not even going into the personal stuff. And we won't necessarily do that. Anybody who is a fan of yours already, if you aren't already following Emma, Emma Gray author on social media, you should be because she's fabulous and I'm totally biased and I own it. Personally, lots of stuff, but professionally is what we're here to talk about because you've had an experience, you've been on the podcast that many times, but you've had an experience that maybe a lot of authors are wondering what it's like, even if they are from the US, what a a tour could look like, but especially for those who are based outside of the US, maybe in Australia or the UK. And if they have the opportunity to have a book tour overseas, tell us a little bit about first your the overarching sort of feeling now that you've gone and done that. What was it like? What is that like? It was just the most extraordinary experience of my career. There was one moment that I had where we were in New York. It was the book was selected for the Book of the Month Club, um, which is a big book club in the US. Uh, and they hold a live podcast recording in their studio in New York, followed by a cocktail party where they've developed a cocktail 
based on the themes in your book and a cocktail look like for the last love note. <laughs> oh yeah, it was amazing. I'll have to send you the the recipe and you can put it up on the on the I would pod. love to. That's but, amazing. And then and then that's recorded and they have an audience of I think 1.3 million people. And so in, on one hand it was the most intimidating thing I've ever done, but on the other, at the end of that night it just all flowed really well and went really beautifully and my two of my three children were with me and it was there was a moment there where I I thought afterwards if nothing else ever happens in my career from this moment forward I will be at peace with my career, which is a feeling I never knew existed. <laughs> I didn't know that we were even aiming for that feeling. It was this sense of peace that that's enough. And, and uh, you know, of course now a month later or a few weeks later I'm thinking, oh, I'm sure other things will happen. But <laughs> in the moment it was just a really beautiful thing. But that was one of the highlights. There were just so many. I actually i have told this story quite a few times during the book tour, but I, I started writing the last love note in New York in 2017 when I'd been over there um, for a memorial conference in my husband's honour in Jacksonville, Florida. And he was a military historian and was I was flown over to speak at this conference. And it was awful. I mean, it was beautiful, but it was awful for my grief because I'd left my kids at home for the first time. And it was eight months after he died. And I flew that that long way. I got on the plane in Sydney and started crying and I kept crying the whole way to LA. Mm. And I still think about that 16-year-old boy I was seated beside <laughs> and worry about his welfare because he had this crying woman the entire journey. And and the conference was like being at a second funeral with everyone telling me beautiful things about Jeff. And then I'd go back to the hotel room on my own at night and just crash. And I really fell to my lowest point. And then I had never been to New York and had always wanted to go and it was Jeff's favourite city in the world and we were always going to go together. Mm. So I thought now is the chance. So I, I went to New York for three days and when I was there I remember feeling this real sense of I understood that this city had had so much grief of its own but there was also so much hope and it was there were the, the lights of Broadway were dazzling and, and then I'd go for a walk in Central Park and it was all in bloom and it was gorgeous and it was there that I had this first tiny little glimpse of hope for my own future and I remember thinking, I'm going to write a book about grief and I want to start writing it here. And this was on the last day. I was about to fly back to Australia. So I went to the New York Public Library Rose Reading Room and sat down at the back and opened my laptop and started writing a couple of paragraphs, almost just symbolically, of this novel that I would go on to write. And then so one of the highlights of this tour was being back in New York with my my New York publisher, Zibby Owens from Zibby Books, and going back to that Rose Reading Room with a copy of the book and seeing sitting at that very same desk and just pondering about the last six years and how much has happened in my life personally and professionally. And it was just this beautiful full circle moment. And then that night I did a talk at the New York Public Library. So that was, wow. again, another huge highlight. But it wasn't just those two. Those were the sort of two they, they and speaking at the Miami Book Fair were probably the three sort of big moments of the of the tour, but really the most special moments of the tour were more understated but more beautiful with, with readers. I, mm. I did a, a little uh, talk at a bookshop in Kentucky 
And a woman who had read the book by that point drove a 10-hour round trip to come to that talk and meet me and just and, and talk to me about the book and about loss because she had lost her dad when she was 12 years old to a heart attack and she knew that my husband had died from a heart attack. And so we had this incredibly beautiful few moments. I mean, it was an hour that we were together and most of that was me talking so, you know, in front of a group. So, but it was, it was a beautiful experience meeting her. And at that same talk, I had, I had had dinner just beforehand with a, a woman who had lost her partner only five weeks earlier. Wow. So I was able to talk to her and give her some comfort about, about loss and the fact that, you know, you can survive it. And, you know, I, I said to her, if I, if that person from 2016 had ever been told that this was what I would be doing in 2023, yeah. it would have been completely overwhelming to know. It was such a big thing to go for, for a month touring around the US and talking about grief in every single stop. But there was one, another beautiful moment actually was in, in Irvington, Virginia, which is a tiny little town of about 400 people, very much like the setting for a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they had all already read the book before this wow. this talk and there were 40 people at this talk so that's 10% of that town turned up for the talk and Lisa there from the bookshelf in Irvington has created a beautiful community of a, of a book club such a strong book club in such a small place and I think because they'd already read the book that was just such a beautiful talk they were talking about the characters as if they were real people and it was just just delightful so I'm just rambling here with highlights but another I know, one but in Washington, D.C., because the Australian Embassy had posted something in their oh. newsletter, so half the audience was from Canberra, where I live. Which was, oh, my goodness. It's so beautiful to hear the Australian accents and, you know, just, just out of context of as yeah, well. Just, <laughs> like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I, I guess what you're describing too, I'm struck by the fact that it's macro and micro. So yes. we'll go into maybe some of the things that don't feel like highlights, you know, mm -hmm. just some of the practical things, because I think, again, part of the reason for the podcast as well is for people to get a little bit more of the behind the scenes and the real talk about what mm -hmm. it's like for authors. But when you're talking, I'm getting a sense both it's yes, there are these big plans and there's the practical points, but there are these moments and it's almost like little snapshots that you're taking both for yourself. So when you talk about going back to the Rose room and you've got the book and then you're just sitting there for a moment, sort of imprinting for mm -hmm. yourself that moment, but also those moments that are imprinted of connection with readers, both in shared grief, but also in shared hope, right? So it's yes. like, there's the drink. So there's the flashy part, right? The being on mm -hmm. this massive other podcast where only the people are listening and having a cocktail and, but also those points where there's real connection, whether it was a large group or a small group. Maybe talk to me a little bit about that too. Did you ever have a moment where, and I know you, so I know there would be no sort of moment lost, but I think there's a fear of that some writers have and have experienced. Neil Gaiman has talked about it, all sorts of talked about, hey, I had such and such scheduled and nobody showed up or one person showed up or whatever. Did you have any moments like that where it was like, here's another event, I'm going to the event and you were struggling to find that moment of connection? 
There, there were certainly a range of audience sizes at different events. And sometimes on these tours, you just drop into a bookshop and there isn't an actual event. It's just, yeah. you know, a signing of a few books or meet the, the booksellers. There was one event where I think that the, it was a Barnes and Noble event and there weren't very many people in the store at all that night. And it was just, they had a little table set up for, for book signing. And I think I might have connected with maybe four people. And, but, but I remember thinking one of those conversations was one of the richest conversations I had during the entire trip. Wow. And so I've always thought, and you know, even back here in Australia, I did a library talk at a little town near Canberra where there were, I think, if you don't count the the bookseller and the librarian, there were, there were maybe six people, six people in the audience, two of them were my parents' good friends who lived nearby and one of them was one of my best friends from high school. (laughs) So that's three people who had come along for this talk. But, again, that one was one of the top memories from the year. It was just lovely. And I think that we need to not have any expectations. I feel like in some cases on the trip, what happened was so far beyond my wildest expectations. It was, you know, I was sort of almost overwhelmed by by it. But in other cases, you know, it just, if, if you just go into any connection with one single person that you're talking to about your book can be, you know, a beautiful thing for you, a beautiful thing for them. And you just never know what's mm. going to happen afterwards. There was certainly that that experience of walk of sitting in the New York uh, library as i walked out of that room i suddenly had a memory of myself 6 years earlier walking out of the room on my way to the airport with this kernel of an idea for a novel and at the time i remember thinking i was really quite strong because i'd gone to the us on my own sort of very early on in my grief and i remember thinking you know i've done it i've survived and i was going home but this time i remembered exactly how i felt and i could feel this enormous gulf between how I was then and how I am. And it really hit me and I became really very emotional about everything, just everything to do with with the loss and Mm. the years in in the middle. There were several moments on this tour where I got really emotional while I was talking because some of you may know I lost my mum in June this year as well. And while the the book is about about the loss of a a husband, there's a lot of my mum's story in this book as well. And I became really emotional talking about her on multiple occasions because I think it's been such a whirlwind since this book came out that it's clashed with my grief and swept some of the grief aside. And so it comes out at moments. And and there was sort of podcast recordings where we were both crying Mm. about loss of various sorts. And uh, so that was another one. And then the one that where I really sort of hit the floor was uh, in Savannah, which is a beautiful, beautiful place. In fact, one of the streets in Savannah is was voted America's prettiest street. Oh, wow. No, you gorgeous and uh, and the people are just so warm and friendly and, and loving and just beautiful. Anyway, my children who had been with me had to fly home from there because my elder daughter was speaking at a conference. And so I waved them off in the hire car and I immediately just burst into tears. And it was not just saying goodbye to my kids. It was the fact that they'd had this opportunity to to share in this tour, the fact that I'd taken my grief at all and turned it into something that has led to us even being there in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was it was missing Jeff terribly. It was survivor guilt. You know, I'm here doing this because Jeff died and I've written a book about grief and I'd rather be at home, you know, with him 
and no book. So there was all that sort of stuff going through my my head and also a just, a, just a sense of the enormity of it all. And I, I was so upset I, I couldn't even go back into the hotel because I thought I'm in the south and they're so delightful here. I'll be pounced on by everybody asking what's wrong and there's so much in my head right now I wouldn't be able to even articulate what it was because it was also partly about the success the book was having because that and that can be overwhelming as well because yeah. it had been picked up at that point by the Book of the Month Club and also by the Target Book Club which is a, a huge experience because it meant that it was the featured title in every Target across the US. And Target in the US is is massive. It's a lot different from how it is at home in Australia. You know, it's got a grocery store in it as well as a department store for, for starters. But, you know, there was just, it was, it was exhaustion as well, I think. Mm. We'd just been on the go and been talking about loss in in very vulnerable ways in, in I think, eight. In the end, I was in eight different states. A couple of those were family, a little bit of a trip around at the start with the kids. But, you know, it was it was hectic yeah. and, yeah, I, I was completely exhausted. How did but, you come back from that? So you're having this moment yeah. and I totally get the not wanting to have anyone say, are you okay? Because that's it, where it's like this lightly, well, yes. tightly held facade. <laughs> Don't well, I mean, me I wasn't even okay. tightly held. Like, I was like <laughs> It was <laughs> out. And I'm not <laughs> tightly held at any point with this normally either. But I just thought, I've already got all these other people who understand who I don't have to explain this whole scenario to. But uh, it was it was just very. I, I went back inside eventually, and I had to go and do another talk that night. Of course, <laughs> sure. I had to go and talk about my husband dying again. Um, and I went into that talk in a bookshop, and I said to them, I just told them the story. I told yeah. them exactly what had happened that afternoon and was very open about it. And I think that's the key. I think, you know, I might not have wanted to go in and be swamped by the concierge at the hotel, but I definitely was in a book, a bookish audience where, you know, people people understand we're talking about loss. So yeah. I think the more open you can be, then just ask for help. And and they would have helped me if I'd needed to. By that point, four hours later I'd got myself back together. Then I got in the Uber. Drove, went back to the hotel and the Uber driver said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm on a book tour. And he asked me about the book. And uh, then we were talking about my mum. And then turns out his mum had also died from dementia. Oh. And he said, you know, I know this sounds weird, but I saw, almost want to buy a copy of your novel and put it on my mum's grave. Mm. So that was it. We're off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think and another thing I'm taking it just, I guess, to open it up for people who obviously have different themes in their writing, but something that is sort of shouting out at me, again, moving, you're somebody who has gotten used to and over the years talking to larger crowds and smaller crowds and all of that. And I had the benefit of being at your very last event in LA and seeing how natural it was. So many people, it's not just the idea of the benefit of a book tour, which can be great, but also maybe the nerves of how much prep am I doing? You have a very natural way of just showing up and having some talking points. Obviously, you know what they are inherently because this is such a personal book, but I can see you doing this even with your next book that I have the privilege of knowing some of the themes and they're not going to be the same, but it's sort of surrendering to what is happening now. Maybe that's some of the Mm. benefit of having gone through so much, not only, you know, over seven years ago with Jeff, but also with your mom and knowing the importance of 
living the life and looking for the light, which is part of, you know, the message that you share with people. But you're saying I showed up to an event and rather than just do like here, I've got this little prepared speech, which for me personally, that actually stresses me out so much more feeling like I have to deliver on this sort of, uh, I guess, script that I've given myself. Instead, you're showing up and saying, ultimately, I'll be sharing about some of the same things, but why don't I just be here now Hmm. with these people now? Do you think that helped you throughout the tour? Because each event would have been slightly different. You know? Oh, every event was different, and I've reached the point where I've I've spoken about it so much that when people, the, the occasionally with podcasts, for example, people will send pr- some questions, and I can pick some of the questions. They they okay, they've read the book, they've written a heap of questions about the book and about my backstory, and I've got to the point where I deliberately pick all the ones I haven't spoken about before, just Ooh. because it's more interesting. But one thing I would say is that several years ago, I was petrified of public speaking, absolutely nerve just I mean it was so bad that I would say this would be like 15 20 years ago I if I knew that I had to do even one of these talks and it was two months in the future I would be losing sleep over that for the entire two months I'd be thinking about that every day I'd be nervous and worried and it's simply been that over time I've done a lot of it and now it just feels like second nature it is that thing about confronting your fear the exposure therapy and that the more you do it the, t- the power just leaves it yeah. just leaves and and I've realized that when people are inviting you along to talk about a book they're not out to trap you <laughs> They're not trying to trip you up. They just want to know about your book. And so in every one of those talks, whether it was in front of a large audience, there's one that I did that was more of a prepared, I say prepared, I just, I didn't even look at the notes and I just jotted down dot points, but it's more of a lunchtime talk. Everyone was sitting down eating and I was the sort of guest speaker. Most of them were in interviews with somebody else in conversation there's a lot of Q&A with the audience and that's the best bit always so if you can just sort of get into your head that it's not a talk it's it's a conversation what you would have in the queue at a supermarket with somebody who asks you about your book or like you have with your friends or, you know, with anyone. It's it's It becomes much less confronting. And I just got to the point where I was loving every interaction that we had and, you know, right through until this magical moment as you and I, because Anjanette flew over to attend this LA launch party at Zibby's Bookshop in Santa Monica, which was amazing. And we went to Target and took photos of ourselves mm. in front of the book. And then as we were leaving, we went to LAX and we were in the airport and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be magical if we walked into this bookshop here and saw the book and it was there and it was just <sighs> a magical Thing. I will never forget that moment, Ange. It was just, you know. I just have goosebumps again. Icing on the cake. It yeah. was, that has me grin ear to ear because it could be a thing and we're used to it. You walk in and and it's not there. I think everyone is, especially in publishing, because I just saw a horrific statistic that wasn't surprising, but still feels hard for my heart that, you know, there are 500,000 to a million books published every year. And only one to 2% of authors are going to be picked up by a publisher. So we're quite used to the rejection part. And you know, I'm always going to say, just keep going, like look for a hundred 
rejections, at least, and I mean, on every individual project, Mm. because I don't believe most of the time you'll get there or by the time you do, you will have changed it. All that to say, you you prep yourself for disappointment, but to have that moment where you have done all of this work over that month and anybody who'd been following you already on social media or seeing it. And I never, it never got old to me. Like I wanted to see more people posting on crying TikToks with ugly tears and all of that stuff, even though it's, it's all very similar because so many people had a a similar reaction, but having that moment of walking in and seeing it out of place, it'd be similar, but different to your experience at the New York public library, like going back and having full circle to have that moment of walking in to an airport bookshop, but not just not your local airport bookshop, or maybe that person's like, oh, a friend of a friend here. And by the way, if you can get it, go for that too. (laughs) But they don't know you. You're not from the US and you're at LAX. Yeah, it was for it people. Was oh my God. It was amazing. It, it was a career highlight. There, there were so many career highlights over that month. But as you and I know from the last 10 years of our association together as, <laughs> as a duo in terms of, uh, of you representing me as well um, as being friends, we've had lots of rejection over that time. And, and I was really open about, and I always will be really open about the times that weren't like the fairy tale that this mm. month was. You know, it really was, it felt like, I mean, there was a moment where I was at a, a literary launch for for Zibi herself, who's got a book coming out called Blank in March 2024. And she had a literary launch with a whole lot of media like Ariana Huffington and people from Time magazine and all the American news channels and, and they were all in the room. And she invited me along to that and sent them away with a copy of my book. And, uh, you know, there was this moment where I sat there and many moments like that, where I sat there and just thought, how could this be happening? This Because in my head, what I'm remembering is not just this final, this this bit where we finally feel like something has, has got traction. Mm-hmm. It's all the years that have preceded yeah. this and all the rejection and the persistence and the 11 drafts of this book, the, the big rewrite I did on this book in the structural editing phase after it had been accepted for publication here in Australia with Penguin. You know, it just every little step and, and it's all very hard won. Um, mm. certainly on a personal level, you know, having come out of grief. But and, and the other thing that I'm acutely aware of is that there will be more rejection in the future. You know, there mm. are other projects that I have on the ball, on the on the go. And I think it's almost like we've done a, a, a what's it, what do you call it? It's like we've done an apprenticeship in yes. <laughs> in rejection. And so now I feel very qualified to be rejected. You know, I yes. feel I think I still think it's challenging. Yeah, like, but, and this is, again, one of those things I want to demystify is number one, still social media, even though you more than most share highs and lows. And I, I think it goes to show how authentic you are in your writing 
for books is what, because you start a lot of it, as we talked about when you were on your tour, and I saw some of the articles you were coming up with, and you'd said, you know, they kind of start as a Facebook post, you you live out loud that way, both the things that people want to see that you think, oh, I will share this, this is good. And also the things that I'm not saying they don't want to see, but that they usually hide Mm, from their own life. You're doing that live because it's not all just the highlights. It's not all like, oh, like what they talk about uh, overnight success, Mm, not overnight, apprenticeship and rejection. Yeah. I mean, I always, I keep saying, I think one of the best books that I would love to read would be, (laughs) would, if someone would just do it, would be a, an, an anthology of the first draft of a first chapter of a novel Mm. of famous novels of a whole lot of different Because, you know, that again, it's not the rejection so much as the difference between the first thing you write and the last polished thing that gets published. And, you know, that's another thing that I think is it's, it's the rejection that we need to hear more about, but it's also the huge gap between how something starts off and how it ends up. And, you know, I, I don't think there's very many of us that are brave enough to to post or share our first chapter of something. Yeah. You know, we feel so, we all feel such a, such worry about the standard of work that we're doing at that point because it is terrifying. And, uh, you know, you start a new book after you've just finished the, the final typeset proofread of the last one that's gone through I mean the last love note was 11 drafts and then and then proofreading and then the American publisher picked it up so then it was tweaking the language and then it was proofreading that I can't tell you I I lost track of how many times I've I've worked on that book so of course the end result is as polished as it was possible for me to get it and then of course when you open a blank page and start the next book it's terrifying and what (laughs) <laughs> and you think, have I forgotten how to write? What's wrong with me? <laughs> so there's all of this other stuff. I mean, being a writer is full of traps, mindset traps and mm-hmm. comparison traps and worries about if will anyone read it? Will they like it? Worrying about reviews. I mean, I just, and that's another thing I did while I was over there. A lot of people were posting beautiful things on on Instagram and other places and tagging me in it, which is lovely. But I made an executive decision that I wouldn't go looking for reviews while I was away because I just thought there is so much of the, it feels like the whole tour felt a little bit like skating on ice. And I'm, not, and I'm not an ice skater. So it felt like at any moment I could fall over and it's all a bit out of control is how it felt, but mm-hmm. in, a, in a really exciting way, but with a lot of little bit of terif- terrifying thrown in as well. I so think I need to do something that might tip me over. Yeah. Well, look, and I'm always going to say, don't go read those. Although there's stuff in the news only lately, and this is a totally different topic, but someone going in and and actually leaving reviews oh, and bombing, that. one yeah. star bombing. And and there are multiple layers and I'll probably share something at some point, but I guess all that goes to show, I suppose there was a good reason that people went in and read some reviews. So they were able to identify that they were false reviews, mm. but almost always I'm going to say, <laughs> don't, don't go there because you don't need to, because that's not part of that comparisonitis is is a trap as well because it sort of supposes and this is that part that I think the person who's gotten into so much trouble is got trapped in 
yes, there is a scarcity in terms of feeling like I've only got this much time and there's only so much attention. But I guess ultimately, I believe it's sort of like anything there isn't. And here's why I know the way we consume, if we like something, we will go try to find more of that mm-hmm. that is similar, not just the same writer, but the same sorts of topics. So not focusing, especially when you're in a place where you have to show up to each event and we know <laughs> you're going to find there will be things that happen that, that cause your emotions to go up and down anyway. You certainly don't need to take yourself down a rabbit hole of looking at, looking for reviews. Even if you tell yourself it's in the context of finding good ones to talk about. Don't worry about that. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't need to. I was lucky in a way because the book of the month club meant that there was a lot of exposure already happening. I wasn't having to go and look for things because it was just all being sent to me or t- I was being tagged in it every day. Yeah. And, and that they were overwhelmingly really positive. And, uh, and when you sort of search, you can see the averages on Amazon and Goodreads and they're all, you know, four and a half and uh, all over four. And, and so, I thought, thought, well, it must be going okay. And I think that's a different phase mm. from when you sit down and think, now what can I learn from what I've written? Yeah. And, and that is it. There is a time to yeah. look at reviews. And I think if you find that a lot of people are saying a similar thing, then you might sit down and say, right, is that something that I could work on next time or is that an area for development? You know, I think mm. there's definitely time for constructive criticism, but that time is not like <laughs> Is, on your own or with your children on a book tour talking about your husband's death yeah. so yeah. you know you've got to you've got to sort of pick your timing I think with anything yeah. like that and yeah. and it's the same with anyone I'm sure that Taylor Swift sits down with her team after a, a tour and says what could we do better next time okay I, well, that leads me to this because I wanted to get into it definitely because I also want to end on, I always want to end on a high note. Now looking back and knowing you can only do what you can do at the time, what would you change for another time? Or what have you learned that works for you personally? Because again, that's another thing we do on this podcast. We really want to highlight the fact that everything isn't for everyone. Everyone isn't the same, both in our the way that we write as well as in the way that we live and that we operate best. What do you think you learned? Ah, that I not so good for me <laughs> on on a whole, if I could avoid that or if I could shift this or or tweak that, what's something that you learned from doing a big tour? Well, the obvious thing that springs to mind is not what you're asking. I would take less stuff because my bag was too heavy. That's a good one. <laughs> and take also you've got to remember that you're going around bookshops. So I would, you know, I was reaching the point where I thought, I'll just throw my clothes away so I can take more books home. So <laughs> that was not, <laughs> that, but that's uh, not probably not what you're asking. I think. But it is a little bit. That is one of the things. Oh, like, on a practical level. less if you could. Oh, there are, you know, there are practical things. I think I would, I think because. Because I was coming from Australia, we were trying to squeeze as much into a small time as possible. Mm. And there were a couple of really tight days there where it was probably a little bit too much, uh, which was, and they had flagged this with me in advance. And I said, no, 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 it's fine. (laughs) I think that was probably just a little bit too tight. 
there at one point in the middle. And what else? So I guess what what could we do? So you and I had talked about this. And I guess the thing is too, say you are from Australia and you're an author and we're used to our main capital cities and we have a a general idea of of things. Look, I'm from the US and I took far too many flights in the one week that Mm. I happen to be there. And I had these ideas like, oh, I'll get all this other stuff done, you know, in the spare time. But travel in and of itself takes something from you. So maybe looking at things like how many hours total travel time, meaning from one location to airport to the other, can give you a better idea. And also looking at the times you're landing so you can be a little bit more cognizant of it. I don't think we can wipe it out altogether. And everybody even looking at it really logically. And I would say this even for people who are in the travel industry probably get caught up in this. But just trying to be mindful of, yes, still wanting to pack as much in as possible, but recognizing. And I think that if you come from another place, anytime you're touring somewhere else, you are going to run into that challenge of not knowing the practical detail, even though things are compacted on the East coast of the U S I still think that's a lot of space. Yeah. And I I really could not have got through that tour without my daughter who Hannah, who's 25, she did all the driving, for example, she was like an assistant for me. Mm. And I don't know how I would have gone. I mean, I did have a few days at the end on my own. My children waved me off and said, please just try to survive. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have no confidence in me at all. (laughs) Anyway, bumbled through. And, um, but I think that one thing that I actually, if if I just wasn't in the position yet um, to be able to hire somebody to take care of things like social media, I think mm. I think that was one of the exhausting parts was that so many, there was so much going on online about the book, which is incredible. Um, And I just feel so privileged that it was, but I was trying to keep up with that all the time and trying to reply to people and share people's posts and talk to readers, which is the best part of this whole thing. Mm. And I was also getting a lot of messages about people's losses. And that's been happening all year since the book came out in Australia. But And that's why I wrote the book. It, it was to help get this conversation going about grief. But it meant that, you know, at one o'clock in the morning after a full day of traveling and speaking and all of the other things, I was then talking to somebody about their loss of their partner or their baby or, or their parent. And so that was very emotionally taxing. Mm-hmm. And it would be helpful for me to have had some kind of assistant who could be taking care of some of the more general social media and things like that. But that's just something that I need to think about in my future, I think, and plan for, you know, for when the time comes that I can move to a level where I can actually do something like that. That that would, I think, be the next logical step because at the moment it was a bit of a one-person band apart from my daughter who was driving me around everywhere and, you know, looking at the subway map and figuring things out. It's it's all very mentally taxing but also emotionally taxing So mm. and physically as well. So maybe a little bit more space, a little bit more help and a little bit less luggage. <laughs> I love it. That's a, way to, that's a way to wrap up that question. I get it. And, again, no matter what and even next time, you do a tour, you will have things that you learn from that one that it was like, I did this better or this worked better. And then this part is, is what I would tweak next time. It's hard to keep all of those things straight. And to your point, doing what you can with the resources that you've got and then giving yourself grace for all of those places that you feel like, oh, I didn't do it 
to the best of my ability. I don't think that any writer, just like you were talking about the stepping up to a new blank page, no writer is going to that. Well, not any that I know of is going to be able to say, oh, I've reached it and I've got it all figured out, nor that they can just continue to do everything on their own always. I like your idea too of finding people you trust with the level of resources you have to try to get other people to do some of the things to just take that emotional weight off as well. I mean, the mental maybe is the way I should phrase it as well, because with Hannah there, you are able to say, I literally don't have to hold any of the weight while she's here for figuring these things out. And she knew her role Mm -hmm. in addition to being your supportive, loving daughter. And sometimes that, (laughs) I don't know what she was like. I'm sure she was wonderful all the time, but just Uh, a mother of a, a (laughs) I get it. It's, you know, anyone who's ever traveled with their kids or in a family group or in any small group, really, uh, and you're in each other's pockets and often in the same bed actually as well, you know, in little hotels and things, you know what it's like, you know, we have have your moments and we did have our moments, but, (laughs) but she was just amazing. And, and really for a parent to be able to share something like that, having gone through everything we've been through together as a family already, to have had this real high point after such lows. It's just I'm I'm so grateful to Zibi Books for giving me this opportunity and and all of their authors giving us the opportunity to travel around and meet readers because I've had experiences in the past where you write a book and you assume people are reading it because you see their reviews but you don't you don't often get a chance to talk to so many people about oh. a book you know face to face like this and it was it was and certainly people missed out on that during covid and it was just such a luxury to be able to spend time with people who know these characters as well as I do or better in some cases felt like (laughs) just to see to be able to really see the impact of what you've written on people's lives is Mm. a gift and I'm just so grateful to to have had this opportunity because I think it has become a rare a a bit of a rare thing the book tour just because it's it's an expensive endeavor for any publisher and I know that you know certainly I've been doing a lot of my own organization of, of things back home and we'll continue to continue to do that. That's what we have to do as authors to try to organize our own opportunities to speak at bookshops and little events and and things like that. And again, it's every one of those is is equally important. I think if that's something that you have an opportunity to do, then do it. One of the things I'm loving is that some of the readers in the US belong to book clubs in either online or in real life. And I've been zooming into those and I've got a few of those lined up for next year. So there there are opportunities for us, you know, even even if it's hard to travel, like it has been for me over the years as a single parent, there are still opportunities for us to reach our readers and have virtual tours. And And now I'm back on a virtual tour. Now I'm back home, really, just yeah. going around talking to different podcasts and book groups and all sorts of things. It's so- back to that connection. Yeah. yeah. So you're still, you're still doing that. Emma, I am so thrilled for everything obviously that's happened with the last love note. Not surprised because I felt it straight away, but getting to even from the side, see all of this happening and then get to join you for that one moment is still like a life and career highlight for me too. I'm going to get all emotional. Anyway, just to say thank you so much. This will be our final episode for the year 2023. 
but we will then start some new conversations in the new year. And I can't wait to have you back on the podcast again. Thank you so much for sharing today. Can I just add before you yes the the button on behalf of everybody who's been either appearing on this podcast all year or listening to it I just want to say thank you because you've created a beautiful space here for us to talk about writing not just the highlights but all the difficult parts Uh, it's such a breath of fresh air and Mm. I think it's it's been it's no wonder that you're attracting you know amazing writers to talk on here I've been loving the guests that you've been attracting and um, I can't wait for next year but on behalf of everyone I just want to thank you for all your work because I know it's a huge amount of work behind the scenes to put together a podcast well I can't help myself I probably should help myself but (laughs) I just I just love the conversation so thank you thank you so much for that Emma and we'll be talking to you very soon thanks Ange bye thanks so much for listening to this episode of writers talking join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process their passions and a little bit about their books don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast